This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. possible to genuinely love the body you are in. It is possible to stop the insanity of yo-yo dieting and overeating. It is possible to feel normal again in regards to eating and thinking about food. Lemuela believes that we don't need to be told how to eat or how to exercise in order to feel good in our bodies. She believes that the key to a healthy body and feeling good inside of it begins within us. Being taught how to communicate with our bodies in a loving and kind way. Lemuela brings her readers to a new level of awareness about their mind, body, and spirit connection. She teaches her readers how to get in touch with their own knowing and gives them the simple tools for natural weight loss. Are you ready to connect with your own truth? What would your life be like if you loved your body? As a coach, Lemuela Christina guides her clients through specific steps to change the way they think about food and their body. It is not the food or our bodies that are the problem. It is the way we think about them. In this episode, Valeria Tellis interviews Lemuela Christina Duskus, the author of Your Body Relationship, Overcoming Weight Obsession. Lemuela Christina is a fourth grade teacher and the author of Your Body Relationship, And you know you're a teacher when. When she's not in the classroom, she works with individuals to empower them to end the cycle of yo-yo dieting and return to a normal, healthy lifestyle through one-on-one coaching. Lemuela has a BS in psychology and master's in cross-cultural education. Her passions include her family, friends, health, traveling the world, and mastering her second language of Italian. Here is the interview with Lemuela Cristina. In your own words, who is Lemuela Cristina? Um, I am someone that is very passionate and I'm always super busy. I'm always learning, wanting to do more. Um, I really care about people and I focus every day on kindness. And I believe that kindness is the greatest gift that we can give to ourselves as well as to another human being. So true. Thank you. So I have a few warm-up questions for you before we talk about your book, Your Body Relationship, 
overcoming weight obsession. So my first warm-up question is, what is life to you? What is life? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think I'm still figuring that out. And I think that the more experience I have in life, um, the more questions that I have <laughs> about what is life. Um, I do believe that we're here to love, that love is the most important thing of all. Boy, that is a tough question because that's something that I'm currently looking at again in my life and looking at what are my values? What do I value? What's important to me? So I do think that love is the most important thing and that life is about love. But yeah, I love that. I have to use the same word. Um, <laughs> so what is love to you? How do you define love? Love to me is being kind. There's a scripture in the Bible, First Corinthians, First Corinthians 13. I'm not like super religious or anything like that. But my dad I grew up with this scripture and it's, you know, love is kind, love is long suffering, love is patient. So I think that love has qualities that are wrapped up inside of it. But um, most of all, I think like when I think about love, I think about like, how do I, how do I treat the people that I care about and how do I treat myself like with, with self-love? And I think that love has to do with your actions and a lot of kindness and honoring, honoring of yourself, honoring of others, and um, taking time to be present with yourself and with others. Yeah, I agree. I love the way you um, use the word qualities. I thought about these qualities that we relate to love, meaning being qualities that sustain and support a happy, healthy, and peaceful life. Yes, it kind of makes sense, that idea. Yeah, whatever supports that lifestyle that is rich and, and meaningful. So my other question, the follow-up after what is life, is what is the opposite of life, in your opinion? Mm, the opposite of life, I think, would be not honoring yourself, not living to what is true for you because I think everyone has a different truth. We're all on a different journey in this world. I think that would be, yeah, the opposite. Right. In your book, you speak of freedom quite a lot. <laughs> and um, yeah, I have to ask you this question. What is the meaning of freedom to you these days? Freedom, I think, is, is when you're really honoring yourself and being aware of what is important to you. I mean, I think there are things that we have to do in life, we just have to. It's part of part of what we have to do. Some of us have to go to work. I mean, we don't love it. But then, and you know, if you're doing something that doesn't honor you, then that takes away your freedom. So you're doing work that that takes away your freedom. But if you're doing something that you really love and that honors who you are, then you have have your freedom. Um, and I did I did not realize that I talk a lot about freedom in my book, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah. The freedom of, of having that non-obsessed relationship with the body or with oneself, with the mind, the spirit. You tried to, and you did a good job in making sure we understand that. It's very clear, your message. And I'll be exploring that in a minute. <laughs> Lots of questions. <laughs> Before that, I have two more warm-up questions. And the one of which is about God. Where, who, and what is God to you? So I have a relationship with God. I grew up in a very 
religious household and I kind of moved away from going to church and um, following a doctrine. So to me, God is, he's present in my life. Um, I speak with him every day. I listen or I try. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and God to me is a loving God. I grew up with a very loving God, the Father. And I feel like God is a forgiving God. He has given me so much grace in my life and so much forgiveness. And um, yeah, I would say I'm in prayer throughout the day, whatever I can be. Right. Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? I do, because I believe that religion says this is what you have to do. You have to go, or they have they have a, a set of rules. You know, you go to church on Sunday. Um, if you do this, this is your consequence. And then the spirituality, I believe, is in a sense a, a personal journey, a personal growth, and a personal relationship with whoever God is to you, the universe, whatever, whatever God means to you. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. So it's different. It's not the same. And you, it's interesting the way you said about religion, the rules and the haves and the, I think mostly shoulds, right? <laughs> we should. And... Yes. 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 <laughs> I don't like shoulds because it takes away our freedom um, and I guess I do talk about freedom, but it takes away your choice when you should do something. And then when we feel like we should do something, then we want to do the opposite. Oh, that's interesting the way you say it too. So by imposing rules and all these uh, solid ideas, then we become trapped. It's a trapped in a way because now we go the other way. We do the opposite which that could become a trap. Yes. And I, that's actually something I talk about in my book, like why diets don't work and the abuse your body cycle is because you're doing something that you feel like you should be doing. You should go on a diet. You should cut out your carbs, you know, et cetera. And when our choice is taken away, our, our, sp our spirit rebels. <laughs> wow. So that makes me think about all the... Um societies and also uh, systems in general, they are not different from religious uh, institutions. Very similar in that sense. That's a good point. Never thought of it that way. Right. So my last uh, warm-up question, what do you think is the main purpose of your life? Wow, you've got all the good ones. Um, <laughs> well, like I said, right now, I'm, I'm at a space in my life where I'm reevaluating things. So I don't really know if I have the answer to that because I, I am re-examining that, but I do know that I always come back to, I'm here to love and I'm here to be kind and to do my best and to share my gifts with other people. I have this work that I do and then I'm also a, a teacher. I work with elementary kids as well. And so I believe those are my two gifts. And so for right now, that is my purpose. <laughs> Yeah, I love the way you talk about kindness yeah, throughout your book. And I'll be asking questions about self-love. But this is what you're speaking of, self-care, self-love, and also spiritual awareness. You speak of the soul, the spirit. So, yeah, let's get okay. to it. <laughs> what was the inspiration, intention, and the process of writing your book, Your Body Relationship, Overcoming Weight Obsession? Mm. So... 
Many years ago, I took a leave of absence from teaching and I went to go study Italian in Italy. And I knew I was going to have all this time off because I wasn't going to be working. So I asked myself, well, what do you want to do with this time? And I've always wanted to write a book. I've always been a writer. And so I thought, you know what? I will write a book on how I learned to love myself and love my body. Growing up from the time I was 11, I've been on a, I've started dieting at 11 years old. Um, and so for a good solid 20 years, I literally hated myself and I hated my body. And through a lot of different experiences and exploration and 12-step program and counseling and therapy, I books, I learned a lot of different tools along the way on how to make peace with food and make peace with my body and not just make peace, but genuinely love my body and who I am as a person. And so I wanted to share that. Yeah. And that's a, you have a beautiful story, very inspirational. I love your honesty too. You're so honest. Thank you. I know you wrote something about the truth that's Beautiful. I have it here somewhere. Okay, we'll get there. But before okay. that, let me <laughs> let me start from what I have written here from the beginning uh, for this conversation. I absolutely love the intro of your book where you say, just as you are. And in this section, you wrote a section. I don't have the entire passage, but I have parts of it. So you said, there is nothing wrong with you. There never was anything wrong with you. There will never be anything wrong with you. You are perfect as you are. This is a very powerful statement that it's really something that most people have a hard time understanding. It's challenging for us to understand in general. So my question is, is this understanding that we are just perfect the way we are, a um, connected to self-love spiritual awareness or both? I think, I think both. And it, it really comes from the, the awareness of from the time we're born, practically, we're taught to change ourselves. We're taught that, you know, don't do this, don't do that. Don't, don't climb up there. Don't eat that. Uh, you, you didn't do good on your homework. You're, you, you know, so, um, that those are all societal rules and societal, um, I don't know, ideas that are, are pressed upon us. And then, you know, we grow up with all these issues and we grow up feeling not good about ourselves when really there's nothing wrong with anyone and we're, we're made perfect. So that's what I believe. Yeah. And that's something that you talk about a lot, beliefs, and, uh, and most of them are false because they come from that uh, idea, concept that we need to work hard, that we are not enough, and we should always should, yeah, that should yeah. word and pleasing others and all that stuff. So I'm just wondering if this could become another belief, belief system, this idea that we are perfect as we are. I'm just wondering if this can become an understanding that, like in your case, it became a lifestyle. It's what do you live by? It's possible for this to become a knowing where it's no longer a belief it's a wisdom, it's that inner knowing. Well, I think that that knowing uh, um, can become an inner knowing once you put that into practice. But I also think that, you know, we're human and we're still bombarded with different thoughts and ideas and um, we still have to be conscious 
and, and practice that self kindness and, and self love. And so I don't know about for other people, but I know for myself, it's not like I ever got to one place and I was like, Oh, I got this. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm good. And even for myself with where I am mentally around my body, I sometimes fall back because I start, um, something changes in my life and then I have old thoughts patterns that come back. And then I have to sit myself down and go, okay, I'm noticing I'm thinking in these old ways. What do I need to do to get myself back on track, so to speak? So I really think, I think everything in life is a practice, everything. Yeah, I see. Yeah, this is something that I'm trying to explore more. This, uh, the difference between beliefs and knowing and wisdom, inner knowing, when you can't really explain why mm-hmm. you act and you you do the things you do, but you just have this intuition, this knowing, you know, that this is the, the way to live, the way to act. Yes. And another question, it's about self-love. How do we know when we are practicing self-love and not selfishness? Mm. Well, I think um, selfishness kind of has a negative tone to it. Um, but self-love is going to have like a light feeling to it, right? So if I am practicing self-love, I might ask myself, how can I honor myself today? Maybe I'll, I'll go for a walk. That, that feels nice and light to me. So that's practicing self-love. But being selfish would be like, I have to, there's the have to, right? I should, I should do this. I don't know if I have a good example of being selfish, but I think that self-love is just kindness, has a lot of kindness. Yeah. So in a way, it's if we are self-aware, it's easy to know because when we are kind to ourselves, we tend to be kind to others. That's self-love. It might be that being selfish, then we are just acting upon our own interests and we don't care about others. It might not. So that might be a sign might be. It, life is so interesting and complex, isn't it, Lemuela? Yeah. Well, and I'm also thinking it just came to me that maybe being selfish would also be where it's hurting somebody else. Your action that you're choosing to do for you is going to hurt someone else. So maybe that that's what selfish would be. Then are you speaking of, let's say, addiction? obsession with something that could become an addiction and then you become, um, I don't know, a drug addict or, or food addict or any a kind of addict. And then you're saying that by hurting ourselves, we are also hurting others? Yeah, that could be, yeah, hurting someone else or hurting yourself. But yeah, because selfish, when I think of selfish, it just has a kind of a negative tone to it. Yeah, it does though. It's just a very interesting topic to explore the the self love when if we can balance uh, taking care of ourselves, but at the same time taking care of others. Because most of the time we lose balance, and then we try to take care of other people. We forget about ourselves or the other way around. All right. Well, it's just like you know on on the on an airplane they say you've got to put the mask on yourself first before you can put it on the child and take care of the child. So. Yeah, you definitely have to take care of yourself before you can help other people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I know that today you can say with confidence that you love your body, appreciate your body, and have a beautiful relationship with your body. How did you realize when was that point, that moment where 
you knew for sure that this was happening, all these beautiful things and this wonderful relationship with your body? I don't think that there was, I don't know if there was a moment. I had many years where I went in and out of practicing different tools to help me move out of my weight obsession. Um, but I started to feel better about like not so obsessed when I started doing things such as not weighing myself, not reading magazines where I was comparing myself to the skinny celebrities. And like I said before, like it wasn't like I got to a point. I, I, I still feel like, I mean, yes, I'm very confident. I love my body. I vowed years ago that I would never talk to my body in a negative way ever again. Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you get there? Like to this knowing, this confidence, this new belief that relates to a, a healthy relationship with your body? Well, you know what? There's one incident that sticks out in my head. And I used to be a big, inj- big binge eater. And I remember going to eat some almonds at like 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, wow, look at me. I'm giving myself permission to eat. And this is okay. And I just remember being like, wow, I'm not crazy like I used to be. But like I said, there wasn't really like a time where I I got somewhere. It's just been a, it's, it's been a process and I can't identify a time when I was like, oh, I'm completely free. And, and I think I still, I still have those moments though, where I go, wow, I'm free. I still have those moments. And I mean, even with this lockdown, I've had some old thought patterns come back because it's it's been a big change. So it's changed my routine. And for myself, everyone's different. But for myself, a part of keeping peace mentally with my body is that I do have some routines put in place that work for me. Yeah. And that has to do with the tools. I know we have a lot of tools you mentioned in your book lot of great practices to adopt and we will talk about that in a minute. Um, so it's interesting how you mentioned comparison. So it might be that abusing the body and ourselves be very much connected to trying to live our lives for others, not having enough self-awareness, isn't it? Well, that's a really good point. I think, um, you know, a lot of our issues stem from, yeah, growing up and then you're trying to do everything that your parents expect you to do, right? You want to please them and then you want to please your teacher. And then who are you? Mm-hmm. Like you kind of lose yeah. yourself. <laughs> right. And that might be the biggest practice of all, uh, being able to give ourselves to others and share who we are with others without losing ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it might be, right, Lemuela? might be. Yes. Yeah. At this point, healing for you is a um, destination or a journey? Definitely a journey. I don't believe there's I don't believe there's anywhere to get to, and then we're constantly evolving. And you know, sometimes we think we've overcome something, and it pops back up in our life, <laughs> and we have to keep working through it. <laughs> so true. So what is to be there when it's, it seems like it, there is only here, right? That this moment. And... Yes. So let's talk about the causes. What do you think is the main cause of overeating for most people? 
That's a good question. I think there are many reasons, um, but usually a pattern of thought has been created. And I think those thought patterns are often started with societal expectations of perfection. You know, people compare themselves to others. A big one for overeating is when people say, I'll diet tomorrow. I'll be better tomorrow. I'll, yeah, I'll start my diet tomorrow. So then they go, today I can eat. Or they go on a diet and then they fall off the wagon by maybe having some French fries that they told themselves they shouldn't have. So then they go, oh, well, I had the French fries. So then I might as well have a bag of chips after and a bag of cookies or whatever. And then they just continue to overeat and then they, you know, feel guilty and they get back on the wagon, go on a diet. But it's, it's actually a cycle and overeaters are in a particular pattern. And, and then there's also, um, trigger foods, which create overeating as well. Right. Yeah. Talk to me about that. What are they? So trigger foods are specific foods that when you start, you cannot stop. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think almost everyone can relate to that to some degree with something. That's true. It's true. <laughs> Whether it's, you know, ice, so true. ice cream or donuts or popcorn, you know, it's, I think it's, it's different for a lot of people, but that is, one thing that I learned when I was in um, Overeaters Anonymous 12-step program many, many years ago was to identify my trigger foods, to actually make a list of what foods, if I start, I can't stop eating. And um, one of those foods was peanut butter. Like I, I could eat half a jar of peanut butter and I could not stop until I was pretty sick. So, but being aware of your trigger foods is important and then you always have a choice of what you eat. You always have a choice. So I do not like to say, don't eat your trigger foods. No, you have a choice. But before you eat those, if you're going to choose to eat it, ask yourself, how will I feel after I eat this? By doing that, you bring awareness to the present moment and awareness to your choices. I love that, the way you use the word awareness, because that's powerful. When we are aware, then we can see possibilities. We can see choices. That's the space. It creates the space for that. I absolutely agree. Absolutely. So do you think that the overeating is actually an attempt to feel good emotionally? I don't have the answer to that question. Um, I think that people eat or overeat for many different reasons. Um, I do think there is some emotional component wrapped up in there for sure, but I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. In my case, it was the case when I used to um, not eat for a long time because of the training that I had, competition, all that fitness competition. And then after I was eating everything mm. and it seemed like I was trying to make the body feel good because it was starving before for many months. And then now I was just doing the mm. opposite. It was completely out of balance. Yeah. So like you're you're eating not so much um, for an emotional, emotional trauma or an emotional issue. It was more like you had all this restriction and then all of a sudden 
the gates were open <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, and you yeah. could finally eat. And it was like, yeah, the, the balance, like um, for every reaction, there's an opposite, an equal reaction. Right, I think by right. Sir Isaac Newton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it goes back to that balance thing. It might be awareness and then awareness will bring us the choices that will lead to a balanced lifestyle. The other question I have, yeah, so let's talk about diet a bit more. Why do you believe diets don't work? I hate diets. <laughs> um, I believe they don't work because it, it makes you wrong as a person, right? Like you're going on a diet because, first of all, you think there's something wrong with you. And it takes your choice away. So as human beings, we thrive on choice. And when we have choice, we're able to honor ourselves. But when you're on a diet and you go, say, I cannot have this, I cannot eat this, like, oh, I can't go to this party because there's going to be food there. Well, then all your choice has been taken away and now you're not honoring you. You've taken you as a person out of the equation. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the abuse your body cycle because oh yeah, I really believe that when someone's on a diet, this is the cycle that they're in. And so what happens is somebody is they're unhappy with their body and their weight. So what they do is they go on a diet and they restrict their food intake. And without fail, at some point, <laughs> they will fall off the wagon, okay? Or they might also lose the weight, but they lose the weight and they go back to their old patterns of eating. So it's not a lifestyle. It's a cycle. It's not something they truly believed in. So when you go on a diet, are you really eating for what you believe or is it something temporary? It's temporary. So you fall off the wagon, you lose weight, you go back to your old patterns of eating. So then the weight comes back, maybe some more, and then you feel awful. You beat yourself up emotionally. You're unhappy with your weight again and you go on a diet and then that cycle continues. And this is why statistics show that dieters end up gaining more weight over time than when they had originally started. And that is so true. Yeah. So if you're eating according to your belief system, if you have some, some good solid beliefs on, you know, what's good for your body, then that becomes a lifestyle. You don't need to restrict any anything. And you don't have to punish yourself or reward yourself for losing weight or gaining weight because your weight actually it might fluctuate a little bit because that's natural, but it's not going to go big numbers up and big numbers down because you're, it, it's a lifestyle that you've, that you're living. Yeah. It's a more natural way of living. Yeah. And I like the word that you use for the, that cycle abuse that has to do with hatred. So we are not loving ourselves. It's the opposite. Right? Yes. Right. Exactly. It's very unkind. Yeah. So do you believe in um, intuitive eating? So intuitive eating is, I believe, where you check in with yourself. Is that, that correct? Yeah. 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 So, so I definitely, definitely do. I've never put um, like that, that name to it, but I definitely, I always ask myself before I eat, um, body, what would you like to eat? So I ask my body, what does it want to eat? Because it is intelligent. And um, I've been laughed at before. Like, you literally talk to your body? Yes, I do. It, <laughs> it, uh, right. it is alive, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm the spirit in this body, but it is alive. I am not my body. So then the answer is yes, I definitely believe in intuitive eating. And um, with some practice, you get to become really good at 
um, being aware of, oh, my body doesn't want that. It's just a feeling that you get, or my body does want that. That does sound good. Yeah. Um, But another question that I like to put with that is how will I feel after I eat this? Because I think it's really important to be aware of what, if I eat this food, how am I going to feel physically after it? And how am I going to feel mentally? Because if it's going to make me feel guilty or bloated or yucky about myself, why would I choose to eat that? Right. It doesn't make sense, right? To make that choice when we know the results. Right. But many people just, they eat unconsciously, right? They just, yeah. they eat what's there or they eat what they think they shouldn't eat. And w- nobody taught us to eat from awareness. And I think little kids, they do that naturally, but then they sit at the table and their parents go, you have to clean your plate if you're, if you want dessert or you, you have to eat this. And kids, like our bodies were born naturally to be able to decipher what they want to eat, right? Like some people, I'm sure everyone has foods that they naturally just don't like. Well, their body may not require any nutrients from that food or their body might be allergic, allergic to that food. Um, but your body is very intelligent and knows what's going to be good or not for it. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. Do you think that the relationship we have with our body kind of reflects also the relationship we have with others? I don't think so. Just my opinion, because I was a very kind, nice person to other people, but I was very hard Mm. and mean to myself. I think that also comes from awareness. You know, nobody teaches us as children how to speak to ourselves. Well, there might be some more awareness in this day and age now, but like when I was younger, there were no less lessons on this is how to be kind to yourself. This is how to speak to yourself. This is how to honor your body and treat your body with love. I mean, yeah, okay, take a shower, et cetera, but we weren't weren't consciously taught self-love for our body. And I think we've also been taught that our body and our spirit were one, we're we're all one when really we're a spirit in the body. True. Uh, So let's talk about the tools. So you can choose the ones to explore and um, the most important ones. Okay. (laughs) Well, I just want to say that if, if somebody wants to make some changes with their relationship with their body or to stop overeating, I do want to say consider making one or two shifts at a time because little shifts go a long way in changing things. Um, so I'll just go over some of those tools that you could choose. You could choose one or two. You could choose them all if you want. But like I said, small shifts make big changes. So one tool is to be present with your food when you eat. That will definitely help to stop overeating. I always suggest sitting down to eat. Sitting down with your food, look at it, be grateful for it. Thank your food. It is a gift and it's nourishment and it's what keeps us alive. So you can literally talk to your food and thank it. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, so definitely being present. Also educate yourself on the foods that you eat. So, you know, like you said, I talk a lot about your beliefs in the book and, and, um, so educate yourself is the food that you're eating. Is it good for your heart? Is it good for your eyes? Is it good for your lungs? Does it have vitamins that are going to be good for you or does it contain 
MSG or aspartame, which if you Google it, is not so good good for um, your body. But like, look at how is this food serving you? So um, I would say educate yourself as well. Make a list of foods that are trigger foods for you. We talked about those trigger foods. Um, And and just having that awareness. um, I also don't, I don't buy trigger foods. I don't have them in the house. And I've been told before, like, because I don't, I don't eat sugar. Um, cause that is oh, wonderful. That's highly addictive. And some people can handle it. I can't. If I have a bite of ice cream, I'll eat the whole pint and be looking for more. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so make a list of your trigger foods and know that if you choose not to eat your trigger foods, you're not depriving yourself of a food you are actually gifting yourself freedom from not feeling guilty and from not feeling yucky for how you feel after you eat those foods. Um, and then another tool that is, for me, it's one of the most important ones, and I've already talked about it, but is asking before I eat, how will I feel after I eat this physically and mentally? That's, um, it just brings a lot of awareness. Yeah. That is a powerful, yeah, method. Wonderful, wonderful tool. You call it, yeah, wonderful. I agree. And then one more thing is that another tool is to forgive yourself for what you would do anyways. So let's say you binge and you overate. Give yourself some grace. Give yourself a hug. Give yourself some love and forgive yourself. Um, I think that we're, I don't know if I should say we, I know I can be very hard on myself. Um, and that's where that, that kind, kindness comes in and just being aware of your own thoughts and how you're talking to yourself. Um, and then also give yourself permission and choice. Like I said before, when we're told we can't do something, we think we want to do it. And I learned a um, long time ago, an author, an author her name is Janine Roth. She has a book. If you're going to eat at the fridge, pull up a chair. So it's like, well, <laughs> you know, if, if, you're go- if you're going to do it, give yourself permission and what happens in giving yourself that permission is um, the fight falls away because, well, well, you can do it. Go ahead. It's, it's okay. Right. And you talk about letting go, surrender, words that you use. And that's so true. The power of that state of mind. Definitely a state of mind. Yes. And then just a couple more tools that I want to share is that throw out your scale. Weighing yourself does not make you feel good. Um, all you're doing is measuring yourself by a number on a scale and it can contrib- contributes to the abuse your body cycle because you're judging yourself every time you weigh yourself um, and then stay, stay out of the mirror, judging yourself in the mirror and um, stay away from uh, where you notice you're comparing yourself. For example, for me, it was always magazines comparing myself. And so stay away from, from that. Right. Question that comes to mind is about inspiration and admiration. How do we balance comparison? So we are not comparing in the sense of judging ourselves, but comparing in the sense of trying to improve ourselves when we see people who are in great shape and they are doing the work of exercising every day and all that. Well, I think that you would have to know someone's journey, whoever you're looking at, like you don't really know what their experiences are. And, um, but I think that if you see someone that you admire, you could bless them and go, you know, send them a blessing. Um, 
or you could ask, ask yourself, you know, what would it take for me to exercise in a way that would be honoring to my, my body? But I still think, yeah, looking at other people, that's still, I mean, I think you can admire people for their beauty, but I think it's a fine line between comparing and judgment. Yeah, you see, sometimes not just the physical beauty, but uh, let's say the abilities, the physical, uh, the talents, Mm -hmm. like athletes, they are highly admired and followed and worshipped in a way in almost every society. So I'm just wondering when, um, yeah, you said there's a fine line in admiring these people, but at the same time, honoring yourself, not trying to be like them. Well, and I think also that, as you said something, I think there's also a difference between looking at the qualities that that person possesses versus looking at their physical appearance, right? Because if you're looking at their qualities and you ask, okay, what, what do they they do in their daily life to get there. They do a lot of practice every single day, right? So <laughs> true. Yeah. True. Yeah. No, you're right. It, it goes back to the holistic approach to everything. So we are not disconnected. Now, just uh, looking at one thing, parts of life, parts of human beings, but trying to understand the story, the practices, what, what made that person do what they are doing, be the way they are. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I also love something that you said. I wanted to understand more about it because it was so interesting to me. Uh, If I can find it here. I think you said something about seeing our last, no, yeah, our last meal, seeing every meal as if it was our last. Well, if you're a constant dieter, most people are going to start their diet tomorrow or on Monday, but they're always starting in the future. So every meal they're having is, this is my last meal. And this also actually contributes to overeating because they're going to, they're like, oh, I'm going to eat everything I can right now. This is my last meal before my diet tomorrow. And then the next day they quote unquote, blow it at breakfast or whatever. And then at lunch or dinner, that's their last meal before their next diet. So um, this is also why I think it's very important to be present with your food because this is the, the meal that you are having right now. Yeah, it's the only one you've got. Because the other ones are in the past and you can't do anything about the ones in the future. And it's true. So it goes back to that practice of awareness, of presence. I love that because that really opens that, um, makes us recognize the space that we have more choices. That's so true. And now um, get caught up in cycles. You call abuse the body cycle. You also have the love of the body cycle, which you have been describing some of the uh, the practices, right, for that. Yes. So the reason the love your body cycle was created because it's the opposite of abusing your body. And something I think it's important for everyone to be aware of is that we are not motivated by weight to lose weight. Because if we were motivated by weight, then we wouldn't have a weight issue in America. So what we're actually motivated by is love. And that's what the love your body cycle is. So being kind to your body, honoring your body, communicating with your body. Then you build trust and your relationship with your body grows. And then you begin um, choosing what you're eating because it feels good, because you feel healthy, because you're being kind to yourself. And that's what we're motivated by is love, not by weight. Yeah. And 
Wow, and that is so true. You said something in your book, you say something about, yeah, the people motivated by, yeah, you said, in the end, we all just, we, we all just want to be loved. This is what people are striving for when they are trying so hard to look a certain way. And that is so true. And then you say something like, uh, love comes from within us. And that is so, so, so true. And from my experience, it seems very much that comes from the balance because um, it starts with ourselves, but then that relationship with our body, our mind, spirit expands. And now we can share with others that, that love <laughs> that we want, but is by giving first in a way to ourselves, right? Yes. And, and it's a journey. It's not about doing any of it perfectly. It's just putting into practice every day what you can and, and doing your best. Yeah, that's part of the self-love journey, right, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book before I ask you my final questions? No, I think I covered a lot of what's in the book. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much for what you do, Lemuela. Beautiful work. Thank you. And so my final questions, are: how do you define success? What is to be successful in your opinion? I think success is figuring out what is important to you in life. Is it travel? Is it having a family? Is it being a high powered entrepreneur? I don't know. I think that that is different for everyone. But if you figure out what your values are and what is important to you in life, and you're able to follow through to the best of your ability to achieve those goals, those goals or to be who you want to be, I think that is success. Um, what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself? The hardest lesson to learn about myself? I think everything I went through, um, I think learning to love myself was probably the hardest, the hardest thing because I kind of felt like I had to discover that on my own. Um, through all of my pain, I had to go out and seek help and seek answers. Wow. Yeah, I can relate to it, to that, for sure. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? That is a good question. <laughs> I would just want to see my niece and nephew one more time because I love them so much. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, I love, I love my family, but I don't think I would make any changes because all of my choices have taken me to where I'm at. And I've really, I've followed, I've followed my heart in the last 10 years. And I did things that were, I guess, out of the norm, like in the middle of my career, I quit teach, teaching and went and lived in another country and studied Italian and wrote a book and I honored myself and it wasn't, you know, normal to do that. But I look back back on, on that experience. And to me, that is success. That was success because I honored myself. Yeah, absolutely. Do you believe in life after death? Absolutely. What kind of life? I don't know what it's like over there, but I am, my father has crossed over and I've had a lot of interactions and a lot of signs so for me, absolutely, without a doubt. But I don't know what it's, I imagine it's beautiful, but I, I also think maybe we keep keep growing and keep, um, maybe we go on to different lives. I have no idea, <laughs> but, I, but I most definitely believe that there's more than just this. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, right, right. I have a lot of conversations about this topic, <laughs> but this is... Um, <laughs> um, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Three things I know about life for sure. Well, one is that we are going to die. Um, <laughs> and another one is that love, love is the answer to a lot of problems. Um, and the third that I know for sure is that we have choice in life. So no matter where we come from, I'm not saying everyone has equal um, opportunity of where they came from, but everyone has choice, has the the freedom to, to make changes and choices in their life to move them in different directions. Yeah, and that's so true. Thank you so much, Lemuela. It has been a genuine, peaceful, and meaningful conversation. Thank you for your wisdom and your presence. Thank you so much for having me. Where can we find more information about you, your work, books, services, and future projects? Okay, so um, you can go to yourbodyrelationship.com or lemuelachristina.com. And I have some gifts on there. So um, there are three gifts. There's the 21-day Love Your Body Experiment, uh, which gives you a daily tool to focus on. So like we were talking about making those small shifts, uh, you could focus on one, one tool per day. Um, and then also there's the three steps to a happy and healthy relationship with your body. And then there's book club discussion questions if somebody wanted to have a book club, which is actually perfect during this time. <laughs> True. And then um, you can find the book, Your Body Relationship on Amazon.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Okay. Hang thanks, on. Valeria. Thank Bye. You. Bye. you for listening. To learn more about Lemuela Christina Duskis, please visit her website, lemuelachristina.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.